to the uh, second and Terry's owners roundtable. The topic for this event is about leaving the dock and living the dream. And, and uh, it's, it's very challenging sometimes to actually quit your job uh, and go sailing, buy a boat and go sailing. So we wanted to get some perspective from the owners on what it was like for them to go through and, and leave the dock and go sailing. But before we get started, what I would like to do is to um, let everybody know that in the chat, if you look in the chat, you'll see a link. And that link will lead you to a three question survey. And what I would like for you to do is just take a quick minute or two to fill this survey out. And while we, you're filling the survey out, what we will do is we'll go through and do introductions uh, of the Ateri's owners on the call. And after the introductions, I will then uh, bring up the survey results so we can see as a group who's on the call. And from there, we'll get started with the, the main questions for the night. So um, don't forget, go to that chat, click on that link. And, and Rand and Ellen, can you do a quick introduction on yourselves? Sure. Um, we decided that we wanted to do the, the little global romp in the last part of 2014. 2013. 2013. Yeah, last part of 2013. And um, spent five years, 40,000 miles, um, playing on a lot of different parts of the planet. And absolutely love. Uh, Antares uh, was the boat that we put the most miles on. Prior to that, I've owned a, a couple different boats. Um, the largest, a 56-foot, and the smallest, some uh, catamarans, the small cats, Prendles, and Hobies. <laughs> Thanks, Rand and Ellen. Uh, we'll go to Alan. Uh, go ahead, El go ahead, go ahead, Ellen. Oh, I was just going to say that I'm a good example of someone that knew almost nothing about sailing beforehand, and um, it was good. I didn't know what I didn't know, but but was able to you know to jump on board, and and it was so much fun for to go from dead beginner to sailing the world. It was awesome. That's great. That's great. Um, Alan and Elizabeth, can you guys do your quick introduction, please? Um, we're, I'm Elizabeth. This is Alan. And we've been on the Ontarios for three years. We've been living aboard a sailboat since fall of 2011. Um, we left San Francisco, spent five years in Mexico on a 40-foot monohull, decided the monohull thing was kind of for the birds and went to catamaran and we've been doing catamaran on the east coast since then so we've had a lot of different boat liveaboard experience going from monohull to cat so we're very happy to have what we have now thank you elizabeth um jason shell <laughs> like on the punch line i'm a little bit nervous no <laughs> um so uh my wife and I, she's hiding, but uh, we got our boat in 2013, picked it up new at the factory. And uh, we did a pretty common route for Ontario's people, which is to get the boat up to North America. Uh, but we went fairly slowly, so we got to enjoy Brazil. So I will not want to do that current again. And then um, we, well, did the Caribbean and then we did uh, the Pacific and a bit of time in Australia. So we enjoyed our time aboard our boat thoroughly. 
Thank you, Jason. And uh, how about you, Russell and Kelly? I don't see you on the screen, but I'm sure you're probably there somewhere. Oh, yeah. Um, not sure why we're not on the screen, but uh, there we, go. I we see. are Russell and Kelly Gray. We are on Leap of Faith, our Antares. Uh, we bought this in November of last year and had a previous catamaran before that. Um, thoroughly enjoy it right now, though, and uh, due to COVID, have been doing the East Coast versus the Caribbean and uh, just having a wonderful time and loving the boat right now. That's great. Thank you. Is is Matt, Matt Crow, are you on by any chance? I know he was on the list to be on, but I'm not sure. Okay, so I'll do my introduction. Actually, I'll let Sarah do it. Sarah, I do all the talking. Why don't you jump in and do a quick introduction for us on Field Trip? I want to make sure you can hear me first. Hi, everybody. Yes. Okay. Um, yes, I am Sarah, and Mark and I have been traveling on our Antares for we're on the ninth year now with two of our children, both of our children. We only have two. Um, and it's been a fantastic ride. So we started in Argentina, moved to Argentina and lived there for five months. And then um, the journey began and it's been an adventure ever since. And we've never been disappointed with our boat. We're just really happy that we have the Antares and um, it's been our home. It's been a great place to raise our family and um, explore the world. Thanks, Sarah. And Emilio, if you're on, if you want to just do a quick introduction, I, I don't I don't see your list, but if you're on, feel free to jump in because I know you said you were going to join. Okay, maybe not. All right, so um, I'll, I'll do a quick shout out. I just saw here on the on the chat, I see a friend of mine, actually a colleague of mine from Deloitte, back in my days at Deloitte, uh, Tim Schmeeding's on. So Tim, welcome. It's been a long time since, since we've talked. So welcome to the, uh, to, to the forum from Deloitte. Um, all right, Thanks so what I want to do invite. now, Oh, there you are. Hey, Tim. Welcome. Yeah, thank you. Been a long time. All right. So yeah, I need a shorter hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and a suit. And a suit. Yeah. <laughs> Those days have I'll changed. I'll change my, my profile pic. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, pretty funny. All right. So uh, let me just go through and let's go through the results. Do a screen share and hopefully this will this will work. Okay. Can everybody see, I only see two responses. Is, has anybody filled this out or is it just, let me do a refresh. There we go, all right. So the responses that we have so far from the attendees, um, it looks like that most people, that 30% that, uh, of the people are gonna be going in the next two years or, or later, but a lot of you um, will look to be going cruising in the next year to two years. And some of you, sooner than that. Uh, so that's kind of the overview there. That's pretty, that's a good profile. And as far as where do you plan on going sailing? Um, it looks like the Caribbean winds with the most uh, circumnavigating 40%. So that's a quite a few. Be interested to hear more about those uh, and your thoughts on circumnavigating. Uh, COVID certainly has changed a whole lot for everybody on that at the, at the moment. Uh, Mediterranean, South Pacific and other areas. And it looks like also that um, over half of the attendees uh, want to spend more than six months on your boat. So that's an interesting number because that's almost, it's very similar to the profile of the Antares owners. Most of the owners live on their boats for at least six months a year, some more. So it's a very similar profile to the people on this call that pretty much matches up to uh, uh, the fellow owners of, of Antares. All right, so let's go ahead and let me stop the sharing.
And uh, let's go ahead and jump in with the first question for the night. And that's just if if you could talk a little bit and we'll kind of go around uh, the, the virtual room here on what inspired you to actually, you know, go sailing and leave the dock. I mean, it's 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 um, for us, we have our own story. I'll tell that later, but I'd like to kind of start with you, Russell. I see you on the screen first. Um, if you and uh, Kelly can just go through and just talk about how did you end up going sailing and living what you're doing now? Well, part of it, uh, part of that story is I was in the Navy for six years and loved the ocean and just loved being out on the water. And then when I got out, it was landlocked. Um, but when sailing in New Mexico, used to sail in New Mexico on Elephant Butte on a Hobie Cat and just to, to have some fun doing sailing. And then when me and Kelly got together, I had told her about my dream of sort of doing the whole sailboat thing. And so we did some, you know, ASA classes and went sailing in Oklahoma, believe it or not, as well. And then um, rented a catamaran down in the BVI and uh, chartered that. And, you know, she said, well, if we're going to sail, it's going to be on a catamaran. And I'm like, okay, I know just the one. <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, we couldn't buy it right then. So but we sort of put a, a five-year, five, you know, five to seven-year plan in place at that point in time and said, you know, let's work at this. Let's let's put it down on a plan and say this is where we're going to be in five years. And that's sort of what we did. And we pretty much stuck to that. Any regrets? None yet. Nope. No, not, Great. Nope, not at all. I did not miss <laughs> corporate America. Nope. It's nice to wake up and, you know, be someplace that you want to be. And if you don't want to be there, you just move. So, yeah, that's great. Said. Thank you, Russell. Uh, Alan and Elizabeth, how about you guys? What's your story? Well, we, we both were working many, many hours a day, days in a week, and getting close to thinking about retirement trying to figure out what would work. And we thought about Mexico, thought about Costa Rica. We had friends who bought property in Costa Rica and just wasn't working for us. And I was in video production. We were out scouting a job in the San Francisco Bay and we were out on the Potomac. And as we came back into port, there was a fall boat show going on. And I said, let's go over to the boat show. And then just as we were getting to the dock, we looked at each other and we both remember it the same way. It really was simultaneous. We looked at each other and went, we could live on a boat. <laughs> that started it. Took sailing lessons. Three years later, bought the monohull, went to Mexico, spent five years there. Decided it was time to stop healing over. And if we weren't going to move ashore again, which we both agreed we didn't want to move ashore again, we'd need a bigger house. So we bought the Antares in Florida. Never looked back happy as we can be. It's a great place to live. It's our full-time home. We've got no land base anywhere. Someday we'll take her back to Mexico, I guess. We've always felt a little bit guilty because people say, oh, you're living your dream. And we'll go, we go, well, actually, no, we just sort of came up with this wild ass idea. And here we are. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. How, how about you, uh, Rand and Ellen? What's your, what's your story? Well, we actually, it came about almost as a joke. I was asking Alan, you know, we're, we're getting later in life of the things you want to do before you die. 
what you know, we've still got some vigor. And she said, sail around the world. And within two, three months, we had, we uh, looked at a couple after that. And within, I think it was eight months, we were on a boat and, and heading offshore. <laughs> <laughs> when for the first time were empty nesters. And um, so it represented freedom. And I always said that we would sail until US last year, our first grandbaby arrived, but it was the best five years in, in our lives, I think, to have that freedom of just. Not sure if anybody can hear me. Are we back? Okay, that was me. So, hey, Jason, how about you? Do you mind doing a quick overview on how you went sailing the first time? I felt like we just cut Rand's poetic end to his speech. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I, I totally lost the connection, so. Surprise <laughs> him again. I'll pick up the ball. Um, Thank you. So uh, I guess there's Alan and Elizabeth that, you know, had previously boat owned and knew what they're doing. There's Russell, who had a big plan, and Rand and Ellen, who, you know, were led by their heartstrings. We had no idea what we were doing. Um, we didn't really figure it out, didn't spend a lot of time um, trying to see what would happen. What we did is just went the other direction. Once we had the deposit down on the boat, then we knew we were quitting our jobs. <laughs> and, and so that kind of backed into it. And it took a long time for the boat to be built. And I remember sitting in, you know, high pressure meetings, deciding whether or not, you know, we're going to lose $10 million on this deal or $20 million and sort of laughing because I'm thinking, I wonder if I'd be tightening the Genoa Hallier tension right now. if I were to see. <laughs> And so I guess the lesson I would say is, you know, it's great if you're on the paths of the previous speakers because you know what you're doing, but there's lots of people that go to college that have no idea what they're doing before they show up. And there's lots of Ontario donors that I think that show up with kind of a not known plan. And that, that was us for sure. We had plenty of holes in our skill sets, uh, but that was also part of the fun. And we didn't have a plan ever that was more than six months. Uh, and that worked really well for us. Thanks, Jason. So I hesitate to even say this, but we were probably very similar to the Jason story. Um, and that's primarily because I was also at work and we had decided through a lot of conversations, Sarah and I did about uh, what it would be like for us to go through and do something different. So we went to the Miami boat show and, uh, did a lot of shopping. I thought for sure it was going to be an oyster. That's really what I wanted a monohole. Sarah was like, no, I don't want, I don't want that. And we ended up last day of the, of the show on the interior. And we said, you know what? Um, why not? So we spent a little bit more analysis, but we literally bought the boat before we'd done any sailing above and beyond uh, um, Hobie Cats in Tampa Bay. So that was kind of our big claim to fame was sailing Hobie Cats and not very well. And we, we then, I, I then convinced Sarah, don't ask me how, because I, I don't know. We, we had two very young kids. I'm still, still, still loving my job. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. But anyway, she, um, we ended up doing... Uh, classes in in uh, the Caribbean and um, we said you know what we'll just do this for one year it's kind of a trial I'll take a one-year sabbatical from Deloitte and go sailing and and um, 
fortunately or unfortunately, we're still doing it. So it's been it's been it's been life changing. It's been fantastic. And um, the hardest thing for us was, I think, um, um, learning how to sail and get over that fear. It was in a way very easy to leave work because um, we, it was a, a new adventure. Um, I love work, but I, I love this more. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very simple to wake up in some place <laughs> new and not to be on an airplane. Sarah, do you want to add anything or did I miss something? Well, I'll just say that when this whole thing started, you were, um, my biggest complaint as your dear wife was that you were never home because you were working so much. And so your first proposal of this idea, what you came home one weekend from being gone for a long time and you said, I have a way for you to, for us to be together as a family, like 24 seven. And I was like, oh, at that time, that sounds wonderful. <laughs> and that was the beginning of the beginning. And so that you said, we can go sailing. And I said, oh, we don't know how to sail. You said, we can figure it out. And so we have, and I have um, never regretted it. It was a great decision. Thank you. So, so Sarah, thank you uh, for the good, uh, good feedback <laughs> after all these years. Um, so a question for the group. I mean, what are some of the, the biggest challenges that you've experienced when you actually left to go sailing? I mean, some of you have sailed, you know, done the big Pacific crossing, which is which is the longest point to point crossing you you can do. I mean, I mean, what's it been like and what are some of the big challenges that you had both both I would say both as captain, co-captain, commodore captain, whatever you ever how you're structured on on the roles and responsibilities. What's what are some of the challenges? Rand and Ellen, do you want to jump first? Um, I would say it was, in terms of being on the boat, the one challenge for me in some very remote places was being disconnected. We had the Iridium Go, which was great, but, you know, when we couldn't pick up the phone as easily and, and call our, our kids, that would be the one thing, you know, I would, I loved being away from everything for weeks at a time, but, um, I missed, we didn't use the, the satellite connection where, um, you know, we'd have, five dollar a second calls and stuff very often and that was the hardest thing for me and it's interesting the, the whole concept of challenge if you think about the very first time that you took your car onto the freeway and how frightened you were and now reflect on how you get on nonchalantly and it's just another part of your day you don't even think about it and I think many of the challenges getting on a boat going over long passages are much the same. At first, you're getting the skill set. And if you have the ability to kind of embrace and lean into the unknown, soon it's just like getting on the on-ramp to, to a freeway would be to you right now. It's very, very different than when you were a teenager doing it for the first time. Uh, and so they, they all mellow. The more you do it, they all mellow. That's great to look back and know stuff How about you, uh, Alan and Elizabeth? Ooh. Hardest thing was getting out of the house and onto the boat. Actually doing it, getting started, selling the house, and downsizing from a house to a boat. And just, you know, I mean, we decided to, to actually do this in 2005, but we still had to, and then we, Alan needed to take sailing classes and all. I, I grew up racing, but he didn't know how to sail. And then we had to figure out what boat to buy and then sell the house and quit the jobs and 
get on the boat and get away from the dock. And that took until 2011. I mean, it's really, really hard. You can always find some reason to delay and to not do it yet. But once we're on it, man, we have just loved every minute. And, you know, the, the whole cross the Pacific and, and it seemed really scary. We crossed the Pacific on a, on a big catamaran and his crew. And the whole thought of, oh my gosh, this big, huge passage and going this long distance. I mean, you know, the hardest part is kind of like getting the courage to, to jump in and do it and then finding out, wow, it's really cool out here. It's really wonderful. And then you meet each challenge as you get to it. And you know, if you think of all the things you're going to have to do or, or learn, or it's just overwhelming. But if you say, well, it's just, you know, one day at a time, you get there and it's fine. And you look back and you go, wow, I can't believe I did that. But it wasn't that hard to do it at all. So, so Elizabeth, I have a question for you as a cruising couple. And you mentioned that you uh, were a racer before and Alan, you were still learning how to sail. What was that dynamic like when you left the dock and went sailing between just the two of you? And how did you kind of work out some of the potential conflicts? We have a really, really symbiotic relationship. Um, I'm the navigator, I'm the weather person, I'm the sailor. I tell him where to go and how to trim the sails. And I, I drive the boat when we're docking, although we used to take turns, but I just do it now so we can both do it. Um, and, and when we're anchoring and picking up moorings and all that, he's doing all the heavy lifting and I'm driving, which works great. And he keeps the boat running. I mean, it's really, we both feel like we contribute equally and it works really, really well. And there's no conflict at all about who's supposed to do what. Well, it, it used to be, there used to be a little sharing of, of cooking and doing the dishes. But Alan got really smart and he reads to me while I cook. He reads aloud, like, you know, from, you know, just cool books, all different kinds of books. And now it used to be, well, whoever cooked didn't have to do the dishes. The other one would do the dishes. And now he says, well, you don't want me to do the dishes or you don't want me to read? They go, oh, no, read, read, read. I want to hear this next in the book. So, so that duty kind of shifted all the way over to me because he very cleverly, like the story of Scheherazade, she stayed alive because she kept telling him stories. Well, he got out of cooking and doing dishes because he tells me stories. <laughs> oh, that's pretty funny. So, so Russell, how about, how about you guys, you and Kelly, what's, what's been some of your big challenges living on board and leaving? You think? I don't, I don't have any challenges. I mean, it, it was very well planned. We, yeah. we, we, we had a five-year plan and we, we worked it out to the T and, um, I think we knew we were when we were going to leave the dock, and we did it. Um, certainly, getting getting rid of all of your stuff and and you know learning to live without all of it. Um, it which was is a big which thing. is a great thing. It is a great thing. A great we thing. will never go back we'll, to yeah. a house. I mean, we'll we may have a house again someday, but it'll be it'll be a very small house, and it will be there'll probably be a little RV park next to it. So if we're not sailing, we're traveling around the, the United States in an RV or something, but the, the small, you know, living in a self-contained area and or unit is just very appealing to us. And, you know, you just have to be able to do, 
you know, get up and the, the ability to get up and go is just, there's a freedom in that that you don't see otherwise. You know, you just don't have that if you're land-based all the time. And we just, we embrace it. We're just, Kelly accuses me of wanting to sail too much. And, you know, I accuse her of wanting to sit in one spot every time, every <laughs> once in a while too long. Well, I do want to explore. You know, a day, yeah. or, day or two and I'm done. And she's like, well, let's stay a little bit longer. <laughs> <laughs> So overall, overall, you've been able to kind of sort through any of the challenges, and there weren't weren't really too many. It sounds like when you uh, actually actually left, uh, Jason. How about how about you, Jason? When you and Gail left, and you were self-described novice. I mean, how did that work out? And I mean, just tell us what's going on. Well, Gail had never been offshore sailing before. It was beforehand. So, um, but it's a, it's a kind of a good boat for that. And I'll tell you why. Uh, you can say, hey, wake me if it gets to 20 knots and we'll put a reef in. And the boat, she'll just take care of herself the entire time. She'll steer herself, you know, uh, uh, care. It's really very easy. And then when I would be on watch, I have sort of a bad reputation for lots of sail changes. Like sometimes I'll do three or four sail changes in a, going up at two in the morning. Nope, 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 it's got to come down. Now the screecher's going out. Um, that's why I don't get a lot of repeat guests. Uh, <laughs> do that and just have your husband walk up on deck and notice you've backwinded the main and you're just enjoying your audio book. You know, that's okay. The boat can do both, which is really, I think, quite interesting. It's, as opposed to this boat, you know, it's so powerful. There's actually a chance you could fly a hull and, you know, can a couple actually be on that boat and have a good night's sleep? Uh-oh. I guess that's your, yeah. That was it. That was my clothes. Okay. That's <laughs> <laughs> good. I, I thought you were going to answer the, the uh, self-evident on that one. Um, I noticed also that I just got ping from, from Russ on Salarn. Um, Russ, do you mind, if you want to, jump in and, and just talk about a little bit about, about you and, and you leaving and going sailing aboard Salarn? Are, are you are you online and wanting to do that? I saw your your message on the chat. Yeah, sure. Um, thanks. Uh, hi, everyone. Look, um, from my accent, you'll see, uh, you'll hear that I'm, I'm an Aussie. Uh, I'm currently landlocked um, in Sydney. Uh, the boat is actually on the hard uh, in Athens or near Athens. Um, look, it's just great to hear, uh, to be able to hook up with fellow, um, fellow sailors when you're landlocked like this. So thank you, everyone. Um, look, everyone's got a different story, uh, you know, just hearing and, and mine's different again, you know, I've been sailing since I was a kid and, <laughs> racing like Jason I was seriously racing and my wife was a complete non-sailor um, and then hung up the racing shoes and uh, still wanted to go sailing and so decided to look for a cruising boat and uh, most of my racing is on monohulls you know sitting at a Hobart carbon fiber water ballasted rocket ships that sort of stuff um, but Cruising's a completely different scene, and so I, I very methodically just sat down and went through what's the what's the objective, what are the criteria, you know. And when you go through all of that checklist, um, there's really a very short list of suitable boats because there's there is no perfect boat uh, in the world. It depends what you're using it for. But 
if you're wanting to do ocean passages shorthanded um, in comfort and safety, rah -ra -ra, then um, I pretty much decided it had to be uh, an Andaris. Um, and my wife wasn't thinking I was serious about this really, you know, she said, yes dear, yes dear. And uh, I actually uh, yeah, rang, she was in Germany, I was uh, somewhere else, and I rang her up and said, uh, honey, I bought a boat. And <laughs> that was sort of the start of it. So there wasn't really lots of great planning other than the fact that I always knew that I was going to end up on a boat. Um, and uh, I still have a business, so I, I, I'd love to go full-time, but um, that if I'm lucky, I get six months a year. So that's why the boat is sort of on the hard. Um, at the moment, and we didn't get there this year. So um, my my wife being a non-sailor, that's been pretty challenging. We haven't done big um, ocean passages because of that, I would suggest. But um, yeah, everyone just bumbles along, makes up their own story. You know, we've we've had the boat since 2010, so it's 10 years now, and we haven't managed to kill ourselves or each other. So. What can you say? That's great, Russ. Thank you. So, so hey, Russ, were there um, any, um, you mentioned that you've had the boat for 10 years. How did you get your wife over the hump? Uh, maybe the fear just the un of the unknown. Um, it's a challenge. It could be the wife. It could be the husband. I mean, I know that with Alan and Elizabeth, Elizabeth was the racer. Um, Alan wasn't a big sailor at the time, but there's always going to be a little bit of disconnect, I think, between the two parties involved, assuming you have two involved sailing, on how you kind of balance that out. I mean, what, how did you do that to get everybody at least willing to go sailing? Well, when I bought the boat, it was sitting in a boatyard um, in Turkey, and it was in a beautiful boatyard with a, uh, with a magnificent panoramic view of, uh, of Marmaris Bay. And um, we flew in and Nina saw the boat and she said, my God, it's big, you know, it's out of the water. And I said, just come up on board and we'll just stay here. And so she actually really liked the boat on land. And we actually lived there for about two weeks in the boatyard <laughs> before it was launched. And uh, she said, what, we have to launch it now, do we? I don't want to, you know, we're going to go on the water. And I said, yeah, yeah, that's the plan. So. It was just baby steps, little by little, you know. Um, we were sailing around Marmaris Bay for a while and then, then we went across to one of the Greek islands. And, you know, you just get, um, yeah, before she knows it, uh, before she knows it, she's doing an overnight passage, uh, you know, and uh, I've gone to sleep downstairs, you know. She's on, on watch, you know. So probably not the safest uh, strictly um, you know, seaman-like way of doing everything, but uh, yeah, within boundaries, you know, you're checking the weather and making sure that things aren't going to go completely pear-shaped. But um, yeah, uh, just baby steps, really. Thanks, Russ. That that's good. I, I would give you our insight uh, for us, but I would prefer actually to have Sarah do it since she'll probably give you a more unvarnished view <laughs> than I would. Sarah, do you mind just sharing kind of some of the challenges? of going sailing, leaving the dock that you faced um, to the group, please? What? 
I was muted. Yeah, Jason, you hit the nail on the head on that one. Yes. Um, well, let me just speak, first of all, from a relational point of view. Um, going from me having my household run by me and only me and Mark traveling, then I had it all to myself and he was doing his thing. So when we were together, it was like putting two CEOs in the same place. I was the, I had been CEO of the house. He had been CEO of his business. And now we were both trying to be CEO of each other. So you can imagine how well that went. So we, we did fine and we're, we figured it out, but it was a transition. Um, and oh, I'm going by. Sorry, it's loud. Um, for me, I had no experience sailing, and I had um, quite a few fears. Like I just, and especially with the kids, and I was responsible for the kids, and um, with teaching them and keeping them safe. And it was, I had a lot of fears, and I think Mark learned to um, listen to those fears and acknowledge those fears and not write them off. Um, but just to listen and to say, well, what if that happens? What's the worst thing that can happen? And I think that helps me a lot to just minimize some of those crazy fears that provided something that each of us needed. I would, I wanted a place for the kids to just be kids and to explore and to us be a family together. Um, and some calm away from the craziness of suburbia, rush, rush, rush. And for Mark, his personality is that he likes to rush, rush, rush. He likes to be busy all the time. And the boat provides for both of those um, sides of our personality. So that's been really nice. And um, yeah, that's part of, I guess, and we had to deal with seasickness and we still deal with it sometimes, but a good audiobook does help uh, just to distract from the sickness. So Charlotte's Web is not a bad idea, Jason. <laughs> Thank you, uh, Commodore. Uh, I'd like to also, uh, if you want to, Pisces, I see that you're online. Would you, do you have anything else to add from uh, leaving the dock? I see the hand waving. Anybody want to add anything on the Pisces uh, boat? Sure. Yeah. I, this is uh, Kevin and Mary on SB Pisces. And we also have guests on board that are uh, Jean and Renee on Texas Crude. So we're also welcome, uh, Texas Crew. Yeah. Hello. Hi. We're both uh, we're both from Texas, and we're both on uh, here in Grenada. So we're waiting out hurricane season. That's very good. So, how has the transition been for you uh, leaving the dock, and what were some of the challenges that you guys faced? Everything we faced, everything, because we had we had no idea what we were doing. We uh, we bought a boat and had no sailing experience. We were lucky enough to have Jason and Gail come aboard and give us uh, some training. They did the best they could. We still we still messed up. <laughs> but uh, having two fish on board was a, a huge help. They taught us a lot about the boat and how to maneuver it correctly and do things that uh, you know you learn on your own, I suppose, if you don't have somebody that's got experience. And that was the beauty of the Antares is there's so many family type. I mean, it's like a family when you join the Antares group, you, you learn a lot from each other and it's really nice. So it was nice when we got here, we're moving in here for quarantine 
and Texas crew to sailing in the exact same day for quarantine here in Grenada. So it was really nice. So how is Grenada right now with the quarantine? Just, just curious. Um, you have to wear masks. Yeah, you have to wear masks uh, into public places, but there's no cases on the island and haven't been for since July. Yes, it's, it's been great. We've been able to do everything. We've done hashes. We've done hikes. We've done scuba diving, snorkeling, free diving. Uh, River tubing. Yeah, just <laughs> everything's open. So it's been a really good place to spend Are you able to go up to like White Island or any of the outlying islands or do you have to stay in the in Anchorage? Yes, we can go. Yeah, we've there. got a Karyaku and uh, Green Island. Yeah. yeah, all of yeah, them. All over Grenada. Wonderful. That's great. That's great because we had uh, many, many good memories. We spent six months in Grenada and we, we loved it. We did the hashes. We did lots of diving. We just we really enjoyed Grenada during during hurricane season ourselves. So uh, I'm glad you guys are having a good time there. Um, let's see. Is there anybody else that I've missed? I don't think so on the interior side. What I would like to do is see if anybody that's attending the um, the roundtable has any questions, you can feel free to just type the questions on the chat or better yet, if you would like to just simply raise your hand or just speak up. And uh, if, you, if you're not on mute, you will pop up and be front and center. So do we have anybody that's interested in uh, any questions, please jump in. <laughs> See lots of faces, I'm looking around, no comments. Okay, no problem. We'll keep we'll keep going then. I just don't want to don't want to miss. Oh yeah, I see uh, Stephen. Go ahead, Stephen. Stephen Hale. I uh, I think I took my connectivity issues here in St. Louis, unfortunately, and I had to switch to my iPhone on the 4G or whatever it is. So I've got about heard so much a couple of weeks ago uh, when this first launched. I'll hold back on it and. Uh, Mark and I have shared a couple things, so I won't go back into it. Uh, I think I said this last time, uh, for all the research done to find the right boat, the Antares seems to be pretty much the only one. So if all the pieces fall together, that's what we will do. That's earlier, and our brains are going into a little confusion because we have several kitty cats that we want to bring on board. And if anyone has any great comments about having cats on a catamaran, uh, I would be open to hear it. I know it's not the most technical thing. We're not talking about sailing into the wind and overnight sails and around the world things and customs and all that. There's a lot more important stuff, but don't tell the cats I said that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Stephen. So anybody want to take that question with uh, pets, animals on board? Elizabeth, go ahead. We had a cat on our first boat and absolutely loved it. She was a 10-year-old when she came on the boat and cats are pretty set in their ways, so wondering how she was gonna do, but she adapted beautifully and she was a great boat cat, other than getting seasick, but I couldn't fault her too much for that because I'd get seasick too, but only for the first day of the voyage and then she'd be fine. But it really, we loved having her on the boat and when she unfortunately got cancer and passed away, 
you know, we are always saying, oh, we want another kitty cat. We want another kitty cat. And the only reason that we haven't gotten another one on the boat is because we want to do a lot of traveling off the boat. And, you know, it was when we did the Pacific Crossing as crew, we had to, you know, it was quite an ordeal to figure out what to do with the cat. But other than that, I, I mean, yeah, cats are great on a boat. Good to hear. Thanks for the feedback on that, Elizabeth. Anybody else have any other questions uh, or any, any response to the question about cats or animals on the boat from anybody? Mm -hmm. I would say that you're probably a lot better off with a cat on a boat than a dog on a boat just from just for logistical issues, I think, uh, for sure. We have there have been other interiors owners that have had dogs on boat. Neil being a really good friend of mine uh, who had his dog on board. And that's not always trivial with with the shore, with the required shore excursions. At least a cat, you have a litter box. Dog, you have a piece of AstroTurf somewhere, I guess, on the trampoline. I'm not yeah. sure, but <laughs> I can't imagine. Um, Stephen, any other questions, Stephen, that you would like to ask? Other than the thousand that will wait until next time, no, I'm good. Thank you. <laughs> okay, okay, great. Thanks, Stephen, for, for the question. Uh, I'm looking here Thanks. on the screen. screen. If anybody else has any, has any more questions, uh, please feel free to raise your hand or jump in. Otherwise, we'll just keep keep uh, keep with the questions coming from our side. I don't see anybody. Nothing coming up. Okay, I have no problem. I have one more thing. Tonight. Oh, never mind. Go ahead, Sarah. Oh, sorry. Um, just in speaking about jumping off the dock, leaping off the dock, making the leap, um, and having someone maybe that is unsure about the the experience. Uh, for us, when we got at the the boat it, it was really helpful for with mark the captain to sail up alone to brazil and then the kids and i met him in brazil and we were able to just do some really easy sailing right in the islands off the coast of brazil and um it was not stressful it was it was really calm waters and it was really enjoyable as a first time i can't imagine the kids and i being on that passage up that coast um, or being in a rough weather for our first experience. So just as a word of um, as a word of advice to captains that are hoping to have their significant others and family join them, um, just choose carefully the first experiences that you introduce them to and and go slow. You know, our docking um, motto is slow is pro, and that goes for a lot of things when you're introducing someone to the sailing experience. Yeah, thanks, Sarah. In fact, I'll add just a little bit more to that. Um, I would say that for sure, um, take it slow, take it easy. Um, it's a lot cheaper to fly your significant other back and forth than it is to sell your boat. <laughs> so pay for the airfare, fly them back and back and forth, and you might get to own your boat a little bit longer, whoever that is, <laughs> just as a fair warning. Um, second of all, I think I want to just touch on this because one of the things that did make a big difference for us when we uh, bought our boat and finally went sailing is I did actually hire a full-time captain and he, he spent um, a, a month with me on board and we did some very rigorous training um, aboard the Antares and the good the good thing for me is that he had already had lots of experience on the Antares uh, before and he was he was um, the full-time captain for another Antares owner on his boat so it worked out brilliantly and it gave me a lot more confidence dealing with very difficult sea conditions going from Buenos Aires, Argentina to the Caribbean. That is not 
And when we went, it was not a trivial trip, um, but it was it was great. I learned a lot. Um, that's one of the reasons why at Ontario's that we have put forth this very big effort on making sure that we spend at least end of the day when you buy a new boat, you've got at least two weeks full time hands on um, with with myself or another Ontario's owner uh, full time to um, help you get over some of those hurdles on the boat. So it's it's um it's a big deal. Um, that's why I personally feel very strongly about it because it helped us out. And um, I think that's that's a good point. You just don't want to have to be selling your boat within a year after purchasing it because you uh, tried to do too much. And that would be a big advice I would give people. Um, does anybody else have any advice just on on people that are wanting to leave and go sailing? I mean, it's it's um it's not easy, but but once you if you do it in small incremental steps and you take your time, um, it it you will get there. It's it's like it's like I think it was um, I think it was Rand talking about just going slowly and, and eventually it's like getting back on the interstate. It's, it's not a big deal. I mean, my biggest fear that I had really wasn't sailing the boat, and that was probably pretty naive of me. Um, my biggest fear that I had was docking the boat. And it sounds crazy, but I just didn't want to be in the middle of a marina with cross currents, cross winds, trying to back this beast in. Um, it, it was nerve wracking for me. And, and in fact, the first time we got fuel on a fuel dock was in Brazil. And I will never forget, the captain said, you dock it. And I was like, no, I'm paying you to be captain, you dock it. And we got in this big argument and I ended up docking the boat. And I'm glad that he forced me to do it because it slowly helped me get over that fear I just was, I didn't want to damage the boat. I didn't want to look like an idiot in a marina with people watching in a fishbowl. So um, that, you know, but it just takes time and experience to kind of get over it. Anybody else want to jump in on any other Alan. advice or, yeah, go ahead, Alan. I'll, 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 I'll jump on a few things. Um, if you can be patient with me just for a moment. The, going back to the baby steps piece, one of the things that I did with Ellen was we, um, started just doing day trips and then did one overnight and then did a two overnight and then did a three overnight all on the eastern coast of the u.s and part of the conversation always was it looks like there's going to be two foot seas do you want to do it it looks like there's going to be three foot seas do you want to do it and so we always walked in to the weather fully knowing and i actually held her back a little bit so that she was kind of the kid at the candy store outside wanting to get in because I was holding her back. So there was always a lean in to the experience because we, I kept the challenge at a point where it was comfortable all the time. And the other flip side of that has to do with the mechanical side. And I think that also requires a patient methodological process where you pick a system, you bring in an expert on that system and you learn that system and spend two weeks just learning that system. And then once you have that nailed, you go to the next system. And whether it's the water maker or the diesels, or the genset, bring in an expert to show you what's going on there and take the time to go through it in a very slow process. I think we ran without turning on the water maker for three months because that's how long it took me to get to the water maker. Um, I forget exactly what the amount of time was, but it was a while as we, you know, we, we ran it, but we just didn't do anything that was, you know, required any excess of it. Um, Can I ask uh, one thing that made me feel very comfortable in the beginning um, was Rand on my shifts at night, he would sleep in the salon. And so he was just, 
really close, which was good for me. I mean, I remember those days I would sleep in my spin lock vest, you know, in the beginning when I first, you know, hit that thousand miles offshore or something, you know, you look back, but Rand stayed close and he did let me go and, and get comfortable over time, which was really helpful. You, going back to the original question of crossing the Pacific, Ellen and I are like kids in the candy store when it gets time to do a crossing. It's our most favorite. We love getting on, going on long sails. If we can be gone for a week or two or three on a passage, we, that's our favorite part of the, the journey. The complete opposite of what I expected before I bought the boat. I thought that would be the time that we'd want to do the least, and it turned out to be completely the opposite. We love that. So that brings us back to your, to your most recent question. If you can restate it, I'll try to be succinct. Yeah, no, no problem. No, that was very good information. Um, the question was, what, did, what other advice do you have on people trying to, uh, to really make it happen? And there's a lot of, um, you know, there's always a lot of questions that people are going to have, a lot of fear, safety, uh, blue water sailing, whatever. And you've, you've answered a lot of them. Any, any other advice that you would have, Ellen or Rand? I mean, I mean Ellen, how does, I mean, Ellen, I mean, it seems like that, that um, you're very comfortable with sailing blue water. I mean, that's, that's good. I am now, but I got to tell you, I remember it so clearly. The first time we left offshore, and, and like what Jason said about Gail, I had never sailed. I'd really done lake sailing, and we'd chartered a boat or two in the BVI, which is like a, bath, a bathtub. So when we left from Charleston, and we went off to Turks and Caicos, and we got to that point, which I think I'd been doing too much reading, and it said something like, when you get to this point, this many miles offshore, you know, you, you're really on your own. And um, so you go in, in stages. First of all, I, I got to say, Rand made me comfortable. You know, he was the best teacher. And, um, and it was, you know, you really, you, you supported me through the process of getting comfortable. So now, yeah, in the beginning, I was not. And I, we learned and we got comfortable as we grew into it, as I grew into it. <laughs> That's great. How about you, Russ? I see that I see that you jumped up, Russ. Was that just your phone ringing, or do you want to jump in, Russ from Salarn? Uh, yeah, thanks, Mark. Um, yeah, I was just going to say that, uh, and this is changing the subject a little bit because um, it, it's to do with the the performance, really. Because uh, I know there's a, there's always a lot of press. Well, when people are considering buying a boat, they're looking at at what are the uh, performance specifications and the time, particularly if you're, uh, unless you're going into the, if you're going into the wind in any way, uh, it's as soon as, the, as soon as the wind, the boat down. And uh, so it's, it's the idea of looking at polar charts of how fast the boat's going to go because uh, you're not racing a boat. You know, when I used to race a boat, you would be fully crewed um, and you'd break stuff. Whereas this is your house. This is where you live. You don't want to be doing that. You want to look after it. Um, and uh, I can remember she was uh, white knuckled and very unhappy. So, <laughs> um, yeah. Russ, I have a solution to slow the boat thing down. If you go into the chart plotter, you can. Now, actually, 
I, I think it's worth sort of mentioning, Mark, that from my experience of the interior zoners, there's a pretty wide way people are doing it, right? So Mark's at probably a pretty distant end. He's been aboard for 8,000 years and he's fully gone native. He wears a grass skirt and hasn't gotten a haircut in years. But there are a lot of Antares owners that have the boat for many, many years, but do a completely different program, right? And I think that's, you don't have to sign up for either day one. So there's one guy who never did an overnight passage, but went around the world. He kept shipping his boat. There's uh, Neil, who you spoke to earlier, who owned his boat for, I don't know, eight years and did the Caribbean drag race up and down for eight years and knows every island and every place to walk his dog and every place to go scuba diving. And then he mooched trips on my boat and other people's boats to feel what the Pacific was like. And so you know, when you sign up for the new boat, don't, don't sign up for being Mark and going native and don't sign up for being the guy that's shipping his boat around the world. Just do what works best for you. You do need a little push to get off the dock. That's the part that the pro of getting the brand new boat from Buenos Aires, if you have the right skills or you get a captain, is your push to get your first experience in 40 knots. You're pushed. You, you have to get that. and You get that comfort with the boat. However, if that's not you, you get it sent to you in, up in Florida, but you do still need to get pushed. Otherwise, you might just be going between Boca Raton and Fort Lauderdale. And that, there's more to the boat than that. That's right. Thanks, Jason. Go ahead, Elizabeth. I see your hand went up. Um, a piece of advice, an agreement, you know, as, especially if one person is, is nervous about doing all this, uh, you know, new at it, whatever. We have an agreement that in any situation, if you're going to be doing something and either of us is uncomfortable with it, for whatever reason says, you know, I just don't think that's the right thing to do. Then judgment free, the other says, okay. You know, you, you go with, if, if one has a gut instinct about, this isn't right, I don't want to do this, then don't do it and don't judge. And the other thing is, you know, you're, they're talking about, you know, not wanting to damage your boat and things like that. And, and that is that you are going to damage your boat. And I tell you, our first boat, we bought it brand new. And the first time it got a little scrape on the side, oh my God. But you are going to damage your boat. He and I have both damaged our boat fairly significantly, um, particularly in docking. I'm with the person that said docking is the worst. But again, it has to be a non-judgmental thing. It's gonna happen. You're alive, the boat is floating, it can be fixed. You don't criticize the other, you try to figure out what happened so you don't have to do it again but you don't do it in an accusatory way and go in with an, an agreement. I mean, I'm naturally, I, I'm, I'm lucky I've got the naturally sweetest guy in the whole world, but you know, if there tends to be judgment in general in the relationship, you kind of need to go in with the agreement that stuff is going to happen and browbeating each other about it is useless and analyzing what happens so it doesn't happen again in a very non-judgmental way is very useful. And you both got to be comfortable with what you're doing. And that's, that's a big, those are big learnings for us that luckily came naturally, but might be more of a learning for, for some people. I, I Thank you. I go, go ahead, Rand. I said, I couldn't agree with that more. One other thing, just because the docking thing has come up twice, a trick I learned long ago, is that if you bring um, some 
pieces of wood on board or what I'll use is a magazine and I'll rip up pages of the magazine in ball size and toss them in the water out in the middle of a bay or in the middle of a river. Docking against those floating pieces of paper or wood is a great way to get your skills down. Um, you can you can back into them as if they were a mooring ball, and you can and they're not going to hurt your boat if you hit them. <laughs> That's good advice. That's good advice. So uh, I think that the uh, everybody would agree that the mantra of no guts, no glory probably is not the best approach to uh, to uh, try to do a docking docking maneuver. Um, and we have, we've always said aboard field trip, uh, no matter what we do, slow is pro. And I know that Russ, you mentioned polars and sailing fast. And you know, when, when we first got our boat, I was all about the polars. I was on our captain's case when we sailed up from Argentina to the Caribbean. I had, you know, I, I was using Maxi. I was tracking our, our live performance against polars the entire way, saying, "Come on, man, we can go faster." And he said, "Nope, we're going to have two reefs in, and blah blah blah." And you know, and, and but the reality is that's the right approach. You're not in a race on a cruising catamaran, no matter what any buddy tells you it's great having a having a well-performing boat and we do have that but even then uh, we'll find ourselves with two reefs in at night uh, versus no reefs um, just to be safe because it just takes one squall to rip through that gives you 30 40 knots on a beam reach and that's that's a problem um, and so that's something that that um, we're, we're very careful about to kind of keep things low I have a question here that we just got privately from Stephen, and, and he said here that his biggest concern when leaving the dock are maintenance costs and both routine and major maintenance. Can someone provide suggestions for building a budget for departing? Um, I'll just speak from my experience first and then, then, then hand it over. Um, we bought a new boat, and so buying a new boat, our maintenance costs really for the first five years were pretty much just consumables, meaning oil, filters, um, and stuff like that. We just did not have a significant maintenance bill um, other than things that, that didn't work were covered by warranty, whether it be the, the manufacturer warranty from Interiors or, you know, in, in my case, um, it was the water maker issues initially from sea recovery, which were all sorted out and, and it wasn't a big deal. But um, after the five or six year mark, you get into a lot more maintenance items. But my, from my experience, it hasn't been really dramatic, but I'll just shut up and let other owners jump in on what's been your experience with maintenance costs and what advice would you give to people about how to manage that? Anybody want to raise your hand first or go? I don't think my, my experience is typical of a lot of people, but I don't know. I enjoy working on things and I learn by doing, and my first, for anything on the boat, the first thing I would do is try to work on it myself. And except for a generator issue, which fooled a lot of mechanics, I've done pretty much everything that's come up on the boat in the three years we've had her. The thing we've spent more money on probably is, is some upgrades that we felt we wanted to do, and we, we got a few more still to do. But, uh, I guess fixing the things we we broke that took boatyard people, <laughs> that was some expense that was unplanned. And sure. haul outs, haul outs can get a little expensive. Um, you're gonna spend more time than you think you will. 
Last time we went in the boatyard, it was 10 days max, and it was six weeks by the time we got out of there. Yeah. Yes. Mark, I was going to say, it really depends on where you are um, as to how, th how much things can cost. Um, and uh, as um, people are saying, how much you want to do yourself. Um, one thing I would say is that I, I never let anyone work on the boat unless I'm on the boat. Um, you know, it's too easy for them to do something, tell you they've done it, and you discover they haven't done it properly when you're out in 30 knots. So, um, yeah, just use common sense um, with these things. And, yeah, sometimes you've got to call in experts because... Uh, otherwise, you'll, you'll go crazy, and uh, the boat's supposed to be enjoyed. It's not supposed to be a um, a sentence. So that's all. I'd yeah, say. that's true. That's true. So go ahead. Somebody else is jumping in. Is that you, Russell? I'll add one more thing. It's Rand. Rand. Hey, Rand. Go, go ahead, Russell. If you got something to say. I was, I, you know, I was just going to echo Alan. Um, for me. I enjoy it. I, to me, it's just, I love working on things and solving problems. And so, you know, we have an older boat and it's, we've had some issues with uh, different systems on it. And, you know, really it's just a matter of saying, okay, how do I tear it apart and what parts do I need to fix it? And, you know, we've been fortunate that we haven't had anything that we needed somebody else to do really on it other than, you know, like Alan said, maybe some upgrades, but um, you know, that's part of what, uh, that's part of what I consider is my job in my work is, you know, I get to do the maintenance on stuff. And sometimes, you know, you'd, you'd prefer not to, you know, like changing the oil and getting dirty and doing a few things, but you know, it's just, I, I don't know. At the end of the day, I, I just like working on things. And so, you know, tearing the high pressure pump apart for the water maker to me was a lot more, uh, enjoyable than paying somebody else to do it and watching over their shoulder. So, and I figure... If I don't do it right the first time, I probably still, you know, have, I'm spending less money than if I brought somebody in to do it. So I get a, I yeah. usually get a second. <laughs> Thanks, Russell. Yeah, Rand, back to you. Yeah, I'd, I'd add to that that one of the things that we were fortunate that we picked the boat up in Florida and had quite a bit of time on the eastern seaboard. And one of the things I did with each system was I looked around for the best expert on that specific system. I've used the example of the diesels, find somebody that worked on that specific diesel, found out who could do the work but would also be willing to give me an hour's training at their hourly rate. And depending on the system, I might take more time. And in that time, I had a whole list of questions I would ask them. What are the specialty tools that they had? What were the parts of the system that would most likely break? What, you know, what did they spend most of their billable hours on that system for? And so not only was I getting them to come do an audit on, the, on that system, but that they were teaching me and I was getting firsthand knowledge of not only tricks for doing the basics, but also tricks for doing repairs that are most likely to occur. And by and large, most of the things that they spent time repairing never occurred to us. We were fortunate because the boat was held, you know, very well maintained. Um, but I had that knowledge and I had it from somebody who did it for a living which gave me a lot of comfort that if it did come up and we were in an area, it at least had a fighting chance of getting the job done. 
That's yeah, good. I, I, I would agree with that, uh, Rand. Uh, I've done the same thing. And I was, because I'm not a full-time liverboard, so I kind of weigh off what I'll do versus what I'll get someone else to do because I want to spend my time. So, so there's that sort of challenge. Uh, and the other point I was going to make is that uh, the Andaris is a very difficult boat to damage. Uh, many boats that I've sailed, um, I certainly would have lost the rudders um, uh, on another boat. So, yeah, the boat really does look after you. And long after you've bemoaned the fact that it won't go to windward like a centreboard boat, um, you are very happy that uh, I'm glad I've got a skeg rudder. Yeah, thanks, Russ. I, I can second that, obviously, from even the last call this topic came up. Um, yeah. uh, go, go ahead, yeah. Alan. I see your hand up, Alan. I'm just going to add... Um, it, and it's been very helpful to me working on things. You've got a great resource in the forum. If you're trying to figure out how to do something, chances are somebody else has already done it. And some people have written up really great, you know, step by step. They've had good pictures. You can, you, I've learned a lot by just looking at what other people have done on their boats. Thank you, Jason. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. The question was about, um, the expense, you know, budget, trying to budget for this kind of thing. And I will say that, I mean, we knew we were going to be spending a lot more money on the catamaran than we did on the monohull. And we even spend more than that. I mean, it, it's very, it's more expensive than you think it's going to be. And we saw a figure about like 10%, figure 10% of what you paid for your boat is probably what it'll cost you to run the boat during that year. And that's probably pretty accurate. Yeah, but you, you can't talk, you can't compare, you know, maintenance expense with, you know, by the time you add in marinas here and there and this and that, you know, that's a choice. You don't yeah. have to stay yeah. in a marina. Yeah, just the maintenance isn't 10%, but, but it is a lot. I mean, there's, you, you think, it just seems like something's always breaking and it's not big things, but something always needs doing. I mean, it's in the list of boat tasks is endless all the time. Now, maybe partly, or we do have an older boat. What? No, I was going to say, there's something that, that happens. You talk about getting off the dock, is that list. You know, at some point, you're going to have, you just have to go. The list will never, ever, ever be 100% done. Don't let it keep you from going, because it, it'll never happen. So, that's right. You know, pick the stuff that's really critical and just figure you're going to work the rest of it out along the way because otherwise you'll never get off the dock. Mark, we have that's another right. question from, from Sujata asking uh, for a recommendation because we got all into this uh, repair stuff um, for a, a maintenance course. And I'll field that because I took one. I flew to London, England, you know, the place with the big clock. And uh, on the South Coast, they have a five-day class, which was good for somebody coming from first grade, because it did like a day of diesel, a day of electrical, water, uh, a little bit of fiberglass, so five days of just, you know, the 101 of boat repair, which was great because it gave you the, the framework to think of it. 
And I think they also have some of those that Yanmar offers in New Jersey. Thanks, Jason. Um, I, it, can I jump in, Mark, on that question? Yeah. Actually, the, the prior question, just to put a number on it, we run about 4% is what we typically ran. Um, and that sometimes includes small upgrades, but then we did some big upgrades occasionally that would put us beyond just put a number on that prior question. Um, we spend, and just, I do maintenance religiously. And I think that's what keeps that number low is I spend a lot of time making sure everything is tip top all the time. Um, as it relates to classes, an, an Annapolis um, boat show, and actually a lot of the boat shows have great courses that they'll make available. Uh, and now that we're virtual on those, I'm not sure how much those are still happening, but uh, a good resource that's stateside as well. Thanks, Rand. Hey, Russell, I saw that your hand went up. I want to jump back to you. Go ahead. Yeah, and, and this uh, maybe towards the uh, the chat question a little bit as well is that, um, you know, I just want to point out that e even though we bought an older boat, the amount of documentation and the schematics and the drawings and everything that Antares provides actually makes it fairly easy if you do want to do the maintenance yourself. I mean, I just the other day when I was working on something, I was pulling out the original owner's manual with the electrical diagram so that I could get some wiring that I needed done. And I knew exactly where to go and where to look because of those. And so, you know, just for anyone who's looking at other boats, I can tell you with our previous catamaran that it was impossible for me to find things on that boat and trace them down. And this one, it, you know, that documentation that comes with the boat, I think is, is key to being able to do your preventive maintenance. And then if you need to do repairs and stuff, it enables you, if that's your desire to do it yourself, it enables you to do that well. So just wanted to put that out there. Yeah, that's good. And um, I'll just, I know we're getting close to the one hour limit, so I don't want it to, to go too long. I could talk for a long time and I think people probably get a little bit jumpy. But um, I think what I would say as far as just putting a number behind the single business maintenance expense that we've had aboard field trip um, is pretty simple. And that was new sales. Uh, that was a big dollar expense for us. Um, everything else that, that we have had on our boat, we've done pretty much myself using kind of YouTube as my on-demand uh, uh, instructor. Um, I've never been to a formal class, but, and I, and I did not start sailing as a mechanic or anything like that. I came from the world of consulting um, that, you know, to pick up a wrench was foreign to me um, in some ways, but, it, but the reality is it's, it's, um, it's part of the experience. It's not of any boat. It's not just sailing. It's also being able to, learn as you go. I, I think for me personally, I've told this to Sarah, as soon as I stop learning and doing things, I'm going to get bored. And that's a problem. Problem for her more than it's probably in the kids than it is, is for me. But I, I just, I just can't get bored. So, um, you know, my latest project that we've had, you know, we talked about, you know, living the dream. And I can tell you that the last two days have been the nightmare aboard field trip. And the the closing story that I'll give you on this is it was not really a maintenance issue, but somehow we've got a rat on the boat that oh, jumped into boy. our dinghy, that jumped into our dinghy from the dock and climbed on our boat. We, we're on the hook. We're probably, I'd say, 300 or so 
meters from shore, unless he swam 300 meters, which I doubt. Um, he came came in our dinghy, and that has been a, that was a nightmare because we don't know how long he was on board. First of all, we saw things, we saw little things, little holes, the stuff. Um, the stupid supermarket must have had a rat in rat in the supermarket. I didn't see that when when we bought it. And Sarah said, "Oh no, I think we have a rat on board." It's, I said, "Sarah, it's not possible." <laughs> she said, "We do," <laughs> and 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 we did. And um, Sarah Elizabeth was in bed two nights ago. She heard this, and it was a rat chewing through, chewing through. And this was the worst part. Just behind on um, in her room, there is a panel that opens up where you can see all the. Uh, plumbing and stuff for the uh, fridge and freezer. Well, he had chewed through lots of wires. It completely severed our our um, depth sensor, um, speed sensor, uh, chewed through it. So I spent yesterday, well, so it took us days to catch this guy. We finally did. Um, he he had a, a, a peaceful exit off a field trip into the ocean. <laughs> He's, they're not very good. They're not very good swimmers, or he didn't swim very long. <laughs> but um, anyway, he's he's gone, and and that was our latest maintenance nightmare aboard field trip um, that cost us a lot of sleepless nights with a with a rat running around chewing through wires. So, and, so we did learn a couple of valuable lessons from that, right, Mark? We learned not to bring groceries on board in boxes, even if the boxes only stay on for a few minutes, and we also learned like Ellen and Rand have learned that you listen to your on board there's a rat on board okay so so on that note we'll, we'll kind of leave I guess everybody with with the humor of it's not always paradise um, and certainly not with a rat on board but thank you for everybody attending what I'm going to do is I'm going to post a link right now um, in the chat. And if everybody can just fill out this, this quick three question survey, it will help everybody um, as far as as owners to, to improve this call and make it better the next time. So it's just three questions. Please, if you can, just click on the link. I just sent it out to do a survey. And um, the good news is two more weeks. Our next topic, I believe, is going to be uh, passage making and go through lots of detail on what it's like to do passage making on the boat, um, the preparation, the safety considerations, and all that fun stuff. So that will be our next call in two weeks. And uh, thank everybody for attending and all the questions that we had from, from everybody else. I really appreciate it.